Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Turn to the book of Luke, chapter 9, the book of Luke. Chapter 9, I'm going to be preaching from there this morning. If you missed last week, uh, Whit mentioned it. I talked about the last days and uh, the return of Christ and kind of some of the events that are going on in the news. I hope you were praying for all involved in the Middle East. We need to pray for God's peace. We need to pray for the light of the gospel to find its pathway through those horrible events, but if you didn't get a chance, it's on our YouTube uh, channel, Facebook, or uh, our iTunes podcast. So uh, this this morning, I want to <clears throat> preach on the experience out of Luke chapter 9. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up to a mountain to pray. After he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with them. As, they, as the men were leaving, uh, leaving Jesus, Peter said to them, Master, is it good for us to be here? Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken... They found that Jesus was alone, and the disciples kept themselves, kept this to themselves, and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. So I love this passage because it reminds us that there are experiences that God walks us through in which he reveals things to us for our knowledge, the establishment of our beliefs, and our growths. There are also experiences that he wants us to know uh, and see and experience his glory as well and his power. And this is one of those stories. Now, this passage talks about the latter half of a journey that Peter, James, and John are on. And I'm going to talk about the, the, the earlier part of that journey in just a moment. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell this story in great Detail. I'm going to use the version from Luke and then just kind of backfill a little bit with maybe some details mentioned at the other, uh, on, the, on the other stories. So the first thing we see is that at the end of the journey, the, the end of this kind of latter half of the journey, Jesus stops to pray. I want to read this again. After eight days, and we'll talk about the previous eight days, uh, Jesus said this and he took Peter, James, and John, they went on to a mountain to pray. 
And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. Jesus stops to pray, okay? I've said this here before. I want to say it again. If anyone did not need to pray, it was Jesus. If anyone didn't need to pray, it was Jesus. But throughout his life in ministry, on regular occasions, Jesus stopped and he prayed. And if Jesus himself needed to pray, how much more do you and I in our life need to stop what we're doing on regular occasions and pray and seek God's face? If he needed to pray, how much more do you and I need to pray? And while he was praying, something happened to Jesus in the midst of this prayer meeting. God's presence came on him and his countenance began to change. I want to remind you today, something happens when you pray. And I want to add and pray consistently. Something happens when you pray and pray consistency, consistently. It is not a futile or fruitless exercise when we come before the Lord and we seek Him in prayer. There is a blessing and a benefit that God pours out on us when we seek God and when we pray. When you come in contact with the presence of God, something happens in your life. There is a change of heart. There is a change of perspective. You begin to see through the eyes of faith. There is an internal spiritual transformation that Paul says it's like going glory to glory. God takes what he's got, what he's doing in your life at this moment, and he begins to change and transform and do something new and fresh in your life. And it comes through a, seasons of, a season of prayer. When you stop and pray, transformation occurs. Change of countenance can happen. Change of mind can happen. Change of mouth can happen. It can even change the way you act towards your spouse. And that's the mark of revival right there. Let me just say that. All right? I want to give you a quote, and I love this quote, from Soren Kierkegaard. It says, prayer does not change God, but it changes him who prays. Prayer does not change God, but it changes him who prays. Our whole being begins to be shaped by the life and the spirit of prayer. Now, I like that quote, number one, for the power of the quote, but also Soren Kierkegaard lived back in the 1800s. He lived in Europe, and his probably... Doctrinal beliefs probably didn't align perfectly with ours. But what I think is important 
is that this principle does not change, okay? It does not matter when you lived. It does not matter where you live. Here is a man that lived 150 years ago who learned this to be a fact. Prayer does not change God, but it changes him who prays. There's something that happens internally to us when we're regularly before the presence of God. So if you are a new believer, new to faith, not, you know, maybe maybe really just kind of, uh, you know, really kind of uh, turned on your, uh, turned your life over to the Lord just recently, I know prayer, you know, coming to the, uh, uh, in the presence of God, it can sound kind of intimidating. I don't really know what to say. I don't really know how to phrase things, but I want you to know you don't have to use Bible phrases. You don't have to know a lot about the Bible. Just talk to Jesus like you would talk to anyone else. You don't have to be fancy. You don't have to quote scripture. If you know some, that's fine. Just find space in your calendar throughout your day and talk to the Lord like you would talk to anyone else. Jesus stopped on this mountain to pray. I want to encourage you. You need to stop what you're doing sometimes and pray. Okay? I'm busy. I got a lot of things going. Uh, yeah. And then you'll find yourself in your prayer closet when your life begins to unravel and fall apart. Then you'll come back and you'll have an emergency prayer meeting with Jesus. Okay? But some of that, if we would just pray and pray consistently, we may can avoid a lot of things that are happening in our lives. If we're coming before God, asking His blessing and favor, asking Him for wisdom, for decisions, we're binding the enemy, we're pleading the blood of Jesus. A lot of chaos that is sown in our own lives can come because we're not stopping and praying. I want to just talk to our teenagers for just a moment, our, our young adults. Man, if there's one quality, if there's one thing, that, that I could say, I, I want you to do, you know, if you could adopt it, it's stopping and praying, finding some time with the Lord. I think it's so important while you were young. I got saved, you know, in my junior year of high school. I told you I've had, I had this radical experience with the Lord. I mean, God just really changed me. But something that happened after that that I never anticipated was that you know, I just started spending time with the Lord. No one told me to. I didn't have like a class to go to necessarily. You know, it wasn't something, you know, it just wasn't something, hey, you're supposed to do this. And I'm sure it was out there. But I just, I just love the Lord. And I just wanted to read the Bible. And I didn't understand a whole lot. I had the old King James. I didn't understand anything. I just get a word or two here and there, but I just read and I just go in my room. I just turn on my worship music. And I just I just pray and talk to the Lord. You know, just a junior in high school. You know, I just want to say if you're a teenager here today, if you're a college student, if you're a young adult, you know, not everything that God does in your life will be in this room or next door. There are transformative moments that God wants to do in your heart that will be all by yourself. It'll be in your room with your worship music on and maybe your Bible app open and you're just singing 
and talking to the Lord, and you'll just feel God's presence. And I want to tell you something. I was so young, I didn't know any better that you could take days off from your devotions or weeks off, but I won't even preach about that. I just spent time with the Lord. I want to say that to young believers, okay? Find your time. Jesus stopped and prayed. I want to say to everyone, we need to make sure that we're stopping and praying, seeking God's faith. If there was ever a moment in the spiritual warfare that's going on today where the people of God needed to stop and pray, it is this moment, and I want to encourage you with that. While they are praying, while they are praying, Jesus is having the presence of God on here. Verse 30, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They talked about his departure, which he was about to bring fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and two men standing with him. So while this is happening... Moses and Elijah show up. Wow. I mean, Peter, James, and John, they are watching Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. This is like the Hall of Fame happening right in front of them. Unbelievable what they're seeing. Now, why Moses and Elijah? Like, where was Adam? Like, he started this whole thing. Where was Abraham? He had a significant role you know, in the, in the Old Testament, what about David? Well, David had a little bump in the road toward the end, so it might have cost him, all right? What is the significance of having Moses and Elijah appear? That is because they represent significant parts of the Old Testament, okay? Moses represented the law, which created the foundation for Christ's work on the cross, Elijah represented the prophets who foretold Christ's coming. It was symbolically like the passing of the baton to Jesus as the promised Messiah, that he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and surpasses, you know, what anything that the Old Testament had, Jesus surpassed. Now, Moses and Elijah... They both foresaw this day that there was going to be a coming Messiah, but they had really no idea the who or the what. So you've got Moses and Elijah and Jesus standing there, and it says they talked. In the passage, they talked. Now, please remember something about this moment. That anything that Jesus knows historically, biblically, comes from what he's read in the Old Testament. Not the fact that he was the pre-incarnate God. When he came to the earth, he laid all of that down. Anything that he knows now, it comes from revelation of the Holy Spirit. So what was that conversation like? Wouldn't you want to know? Well, let me give you my version of that, okay? Moses going... Jesus, wow. You know, I, I know you know this, but I want to add a little color, you know, like back when your father called me at the burning bush to go and, and be the deliverer of the Hebrews. He heard the groans of the, the generational slavery that they had 
been in and then, you know, through the, the plagues of Pharaoh, you know, and putting the, the door, the blood on the doorpost, there was a deliverance and that blood was foreshadowing your, you know, your particular work and they were all delivered. But I want to remind you that your mission is greater than mine. I led people out of economic and political oppression, but you are the one that will set the captives free. My deliverance, you know, was just about physical bondage. But as you have already said, and I want to remind you, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, and He's pro anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the prisoner, and the recovery of sight to the blind, and set the oppressed free. And that's just not physically. That is spiritually. You are sent in this moment to seek and to save the lost. And then he says, I want to remind you of something else. It was on a mountain similar to this that I stood with the presence of God. And God gave me those tablets of the law. And it was such a powerful moment that my face, when I got off the mountain, began to radiate with the glory of God. And that law that God gave me taught Everyone about right from wrong and sin from blessing and good from evil. But the problem with that was that it did not change the human heart. But I want to just say what the law could not do because it was powerless. You are going to do it because you are going to change the human heart through, through what is in your future. Elijah said, Moses, can I say something? I represent the prophets. We spoke on behalf of God. There are, we are the ones that, there are ones that spoke about you. First of all, God empowered us to do miracles. And let me add, we did some pretty good things, I just want to say. I had eight of them, I just want to say. Droughts, widows, for the uh, oil for the widows, fire from heaven. But I want you, to want you to know, you are going to do greater miracles than that. And not only are you going to do greater miracles, but you are going to empower your followers, and they're going to do greater miracles than you as well. Micah, Hosea, Daniel, Zechariah, Malachi, they all spoke about your appearance here on the earth. But it was Isaiah that saw your appearance just a little differently, just a little more personally, when he said he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering familiar with pain, like one whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain, bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by your wounds we are healed. And maybe they said something like, today, 
today we are at the end of the first part of God's plan for the redemption of mankind, but you are the one that will finish the task. Can I remind you this morning that Jesus is not just one of the great historical figures that has ever lived upon the earth. There is no one that has impacted this earth unlike our Savior Jesus. He is not one of the great religious figures of the earth. You know, Muhammad and the Dalai Lama, the Confucius, the popes, and all of the prophets. Because there is no one like our Lord and Savior who came to finish the task of God's redemption on the cross of Jesus. Hebrews 1 says it this way, in the past God spoke to us through the prophets, but today He speaks to us through His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, whom he ma- who made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. So this wasn't just something random that Moses and Elijah appeared. It's almost like the passing. It's almost like the, the, you know, the, the unveiling publicly of the, the conclusion of the law and the prophets. And Jesus takes that baton for lack of a better term. So there was a theological purpose that they were there. But there was also a practical purpose as well. It says they talked to Jesus about his departure. They talked to Jesus about his departure. Now, how old do you think Jesus was when he fully became aware of his mission on the earth? We know that the age of 12, he was very knowledgeable in the scripture. He confounded, you know, the, the Pharisees When was it and where was it that Jesus, as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old, maybe he's reading the passage that I just read to you in Isaiah, and he realized the, the weight and the heaviness of the burden that he's been tasked with? How old was he when he realized this is not going to be the coronation like we saw with King Charles? That my mission here is going to be a brutal, beating, bloodletting that's going to end in my execution. When did that fully dawn on him that that, that, that was going to be the burden that he had to, to bear? Like if you know that you're going to die and there's, there's a weight on you and he's just carrying this his whole life, especially he knows the manner of his death. He knows what's going to happen. And we know also that he was concerned about this as well. He prayed about it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if there's any way that this could pass, please let it do so. Even to the point that there was such great pressure that blood began to flow out of his, you know, out of his forehead. And they, you know, maybe they were coming to discuss his impending death, but also to provide support as well. I think the moment strengthened 
Jesus. We've seen angels minister to him and at the Mount of Temptation. Maybe he needed it. I want to say God orchestrates certain things in our lives and in situations from certain people as well that they can encourage and give strength. So probably here is a moment where they are speaking to Jesus and encouraging him in the, in the task that is laid before him. There are times, and I want to say this to you, there are times when we are facing fierce battles that we need the strength of the Lord. We, we need that presence, that encouragement. Sometimes we are weak, we are exhausted, we are worn down, we are ready to give up. And in that moment, it is not an issue of human determination or self-will. There are times that we walk through difficult seasons when what we need is the power and the presence and the strength of the Lord to, to help us through that next season. It's not just about perseverance. It is about the presence of God and the strength of God that can bring us through. The promise of the Lord is is this they that hope in the Lord shall renew their strength they will mount up with wings like his eagles they will run and not be weary and they will walk and not faint and there are times when we are tasked with great crosses to bear that we don't have to bear that alone but the power and the presence of God will give us the strength to carry out God's mission and God's task upon our life they spoke to him about his departure. Well, so they're having this great moment. <clears throat> this great moment. And then, of course, Peter shoots his mouth off. All right? Do you have anybody in your family that's just not sensitive to the situation and they'll just say anything? Yeah? Yeah? I have one, and she just got married. It was Christmas Eve. You know, she was probably seven or eight years old. We were at the mall. You know, just doing a little shopping, hanging out Christmas Eve. Had a, Becky's got a great dinner. Got to have some fun that night. House is smelling great. We're at the mall, and we come across three ladies from our church. Now, the church that I pastored uh, was, a, was a military church, and a lot of the congregation that we had were Korean women so we had at our church a large contingent of Koreans. We had a Korean pastor. We translated the services into Korean. They were a great part of our congregation. So we saw three Korean ladies there. We're just visiting. We're just talking. And Kelsey, she's probably seven, eight years old. She goes, hey, I've got an idea. Why don't you guys cook some Korean food and come over to our house tonight? I, I put my arm around Kelsey and pulled her close to me so that I could get my hand upon her mouth. And they said, that sounds like a great idea. So that night, our house was filled with the smell of Asian food, cabbage, okay? Egg rolls, chop che, bulgogi, yakimandu, and they stayed for about three hours, and Kelsey had the time of her life. But I had a bitterness in my heart toward her, you know? Peter was kind of that way. They're having this very spiritual moment, 
And Peter said, hey, I've got an idea. Why don't we build three shelters? One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Okay. Now what's funny in the text, when Luke is writing this, in the parentheses, he says about Peter, he did not know what he was saying. <laughs> That's a kind way to go, what is he doing? Stupid would not have made it in the Bible, so that's what he said. And I would have loved to see Peter's reaction reading Luke's writing a few years later when, when he made this comment. So Peter's, he's got this, you know, he just shoots it off. He just says it, okay? And then it's so bad in verse 34 while he was speaking, a cloud appeared, so God even interrupts Peter's dumb idea. <clears throat> a cloud appeared, covered them. They were afraid as they entered the cloud. The voice came saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. All right? So, you know, um, they had been on a journey, I told you. We, we, we've talked about the latter half but the previous chapter says that they had been in Caesarea Philippi. It's about 60 miles away. And it's the moment, do you remember in Peter's life, when, when Jesus says to Peter, who do men say that I am? You know, it's that point, and Peter tells him, and he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay, wow, great. And then Peter shot his mouth off again and said, Lord, nobody's going to kill you. You're not going to go to Jerusalem, which Jesus responded to Peter, Satan, get behind me, okay? He's always got to add one more sentence. But I, so they were in Caesarea Philippi, all right, and it's 60 miles away. So they walk 60 miles because it says the beginning of the story you know, one version says six days, one says eight days. So they're walking 60 miles, okay? Now, if you've ever been to Israel, you know this is a challenge. This is up and down, and it's hot, and it's humid, and it's rocky. So 60 miles would be tough for anyone, but especially in these conditions. And then they get to the bottom of Mount Tabor, where they say that this that this happened, and it was a 2,000-foot hike uphill, very steep, you know, to, to end this moment. So the disciples, Peter, James, and John, they are walking. They're walking 60 miles. It's seven, eight days. Got to be tired. Then the last part of that, they're going up 2,000 miles, okay? I mean, excuse me, 2,000 feet to the top of the mountain, so it was quite a journey, quite a journey, quite a physical journey, took some time. But I want to say this to you. You will miss transfiguration experiences because you refuse the invitation to go with him to the high mountain, all right? Sometimes it's long, it's hot, it's uphill, you're not really sure what is going on. Jesus did not tell them, boys, you want to go with me because you are not going to, you will never forget what is about to happen to you. He did not tell them that. He just said, follow me, keep walking. He did not tell them what was going to happen. I want to say 
to you this morning. Whatever you've got to do, get on that mountain. Find God's glory. Lean in to the presence of God. If you want to have a God encounter like this, you've got to position yourself to have that kind of encounter. And they did because of their faithfulness. They saw something unusual. Be faithful. Be consistent because there is a reward at the very end. Be faithful. Be consistent. Some of you are going, what what am I doing? Where am I going? You're kind of like Peter, James, and John. Lord, where are we going? What's the point of this? He doesn't always tell you everything. But just keep walking. Just keep going. Be consistent. There's a reward at the end. He's not leading you on a path of misery. He's leading you on a path where you will feel and sense God's presence and God's glory if you'll finish that journey with Jesus. All right? And then Peter. Peter, he answered the question previously. You know, Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And we see two moments in Peter's life in a very short period of time that are not random, but they serve a purpose. One was intellectual. Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Okay. And then one is experiential. We don't serve a God of just the intellect. We serve a God of the experiential too, okay? I said there are two reasons why God does certain things. Sometimes it's to teach us. Sometimes he wants to reveal himself to us in a powerful way. And if, if you're new to maybe the spirit-filled church, I want you to know like learning, Bibli- learning the Bible, learning doctrine, those things are important, but also, we're people of the Spirit. We, we believe in God's presence and God's power and God's glory as well. So Peter's learning over here, but he's seeing over here. And these are not random things. They're part of what God is, God is teaching us. I want to remind you this morning that He is a God of power and He is a God of presence. He is a living God and He wants you to have a powerful encounter with Him. A few, you know, like a month or so ago, they had a cessationist conference. They announced these are people that don't believe in the the modern-day moving of the Holy Spirit, as we do. I just kept going, what a sad place to be. What a sad conference. You shouldn't have to pay to go there. They should pay you to come and go there. If you don't believe in in God's presence and, and power, I... And he wanted Peter to see this. And Peter's watching all of this displayed before him. And I want to remind you this morning that that doctrine and discipleship are important. important. But knowing that we serve a God of power and a God of presence and that he's a God of healing and a God of miracles as well, that's important too. To know and to be, to know and to be in his presence. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. 
And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. Moses and Elijah had left. So they're standing there and they're watching this. And all of a sudden, there's like a mist or a cloud that appears on the horizon. Maybe at first they thought, well, we're 2,000 feet up. Maybe it's just one of those moments because we're at a higher altitude. But this was different. This was different because when they saw this cloud and they saw this haze or mist, whatever you want to call it, there was also something that moved and stirred the heart. Okay, there was all something that moved on the, on the inside. And what they were witnessing was kind of the, it's called the Shekinah power, Shekinah glory. It was a visible manifestation of God's power. They were able to see God's presence. Many times we feel and sense it, but in that moment, they were able to see God's power and his presence and that cloud begin to come. It was representation of, you know, they're all, they're all, you know, aware of, of what happened in Exodus. They knew that, that God's power and glory were revealed by pillars of fire at night and cloud by day. And they remember the story of God's presence in the tabernacle. And they remember God's presence when it filled the temple. And it says that power and glory was so strong. It was so thick. They could not even see each other on the inside. And they were, you know, they were watching this as it's kind of, as it's kind of coming toward them. And the moment, it looks like Sinai all over again. Man, there's, they're on top of a mountain and God's power and glory is, is there in, in a great way. But there was one thing they were concerned about because in the Old Testament, if you touched the glory, you died. That's why it said when the cloud came to them, they looked with fear. Oh boy, they're probably going, Peter shot his mouth off. Look what is about to happen. <clears throat> the glory cloud is coming and they are, they are fearful, but then that, that cloud covers them as well. And I want to go, why? What is the difference between that and the Old Testament because Jesus was there. He is the mediator. He is the one that stands in the midst of God and man. Now, every man, because of Jesus, can have access to the glory and the power of God. So instead of being fearful for what they were seeing and experiencing now, they are embracing it, and then they fall on their faces. It says they were fearful, which was, you know, which is... Ununderstandable. I want to say to you, there are times we need God's power and presence. There are times that we need the glory of God in our lives. There are times that we need those presence because there's something about the presence of God. There is something about the glory of God and being in God's presence. And we need to make sure that we have time for that. That we make time for that. When we're in God's presence and power, man, there's something that just changes when you have those moments in your life. We were, we were in Israel last year. <clears throat> we, were at the, we were at the garden tomb. We'd gone to Calvary, visited Calvary. We'd gone to the, the garden tomb where we take communion. And, and, and a, a couple... 
approached someone on our team and said, hey, we, would it be okay that we take communion with your group? We had about 20, 24. I said, you know, that we certainly. Uh, so I, I greeted them, and they said, thank you. Uh, they said, we, we tried to take, we're by ourselves, we're husband and wife from England, we're by ourselves, and we wanted to take communion with another group, but they wouldn't let us. Now, let me just tell you something. <clears throat> if you're at, if you visited Calvary, and you're at the garden tomb in Israel, and someone wants to take communion with you, and it's a bother to you, and you say no, in my opinion, you need to put down your communion emblems, walk back over to Calvary, kneel down, and don't get up until your heart and mind is changed. I just threw that in for free. All right worship team you can come so they were sitting there with us those of you that are on the team you remember the moment they were kind of sitting on the second row and the entire time because we we were doing communion so we had songs and scripture readings that dealt with the cross and then you know uh, and then the shed blood and then we were going to celebrate his resurrection just all in this little garden area and and the whole time like they're just looking around. It was almost distracting to me because they're looking all over. They weren't kind of focused. They didn't really know the songs, but they were just kind of looking, looking around. And, you know, um, and they took communion with us. And then when it was over, they both came to me, and the wife was very tearful. And she said, I have never been in anything like that in my entire life. She said, I've never sensed anything like that at all. I mean, now, she's crying, okay? She said, I want to thank you, number one. She said, but what was that? I said, I want you to know what you felt today was the presence of God. It's the power of God. It's God's physical reminder to us, along with His Word, that He is alive and that he loves you. And then he wants to do something in your life. And her husband is standing there. He said, sir, I don't go to church. He said, I don't even know what to think. He said, I've never felt anything like that in my life. So I encouraged them. I said, listen, we, we've got to go. I said, but I, I, I traded social media with them and and I said, hey, but I want to encourage you because this is not just something that you go, hey, this is neat. There's something that God's trying to say to you as well. Can I remind you that when we're in church and you feel and sense God's presence, it's not just that we go, that's pretty cool. There's something that God is trying to say to us when he's revealing his presence here. So we kind of walked away. They left. She thanked me again. She was very emotional. We were, we walked over to the garden tomb. We were shooting some video. <clears throat> we were shooting some video. Some of you remember this. I had the garden tomb to my back. I had the microphone on. Brent had set up camera and lights. And we were about to record what we shot last, or we used last Easter. The man came back again and got in the shot. He said, sir, I've I got to talk to you. i got to say something. 
here he is. He's got tears. And he says, sir, I'm an agnostic. He said, I don't even believe there's a God. He said, but I can't get off my mind what happened back a few minutes ago. He said, I I can't shake that. And I said, sir, I want to remind you again, this is God through his presence saying to you, I'm here. I'm here. This is not just something. This is not just some energy in the universe, some force. This is God's presence. What happened to you occurred in a moment when we were honoring Jesus through his death and his resurrection. And he's, he's weeping. He said, I, my wife goes to church. She's Anglican. She said, I don't, I don't ever really go. So I, and I want you to know, we, I have traded multiple messages with them over the, the past year about their faith, their walk with the Lord, just greetings. And I'm just saying this to you. There's something about unmistakable about the presence of God, okay? There's something about the presence of God. And I think sometimes when it comes to those experiences, we are living way below what God wants. I think there's a lot more of God's power and presence that He wants to pour in our lives, but we have Him confined with time and availability, okay? I want to remind you that The Old Testament prophet said that the glory of the present house, I mean, excuse me, the the glory of the former, it would be, I cannot even get this right. The glory of the present house will be greater than that of the glory of the former house. God's going to do something in our day with his power and presence. I want to, I want to make sure, I want to make sure we're not living on empty We're not living on dry, that we're living in the fullness of the presence of God. We are living in the fullness of the presence of God. Those disciples, Peter and James and John, they felt God's presence. They saw Shekinah glory. They saw a visible visible manifestation of God's glory. I want you to stand. We're just going to do a little something different this morning. I don't always have the time to do it. don't always have the space. The worship team is going to sing. I just want to open these altars this morning. I want to open these altars. I want you to come find a place. We're just going to spend a few moments. We don't always have time in this service, you know, but we're going to take time this morning and just get in God's presence. Just let God, just let God speak to us. Worship team, I want you to sing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord just says make room make room make room and i will make room for you just come find a place come find a place if you want to walk around if you want to kneel in your seat if you want to sit doesn't matter the, sometimes our posture and our position just changing that can help us God's power and God's presence. We're hungry for it, Lord. We're hungry for it, Lord. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit.
not going to sing for a moment. I just want you to lift your hands, lift your hearts. Say, Lord, put your presence on me. Lord, I need your presence. Some of you are dry. You are weary. You are worn out. You're functioning on empty here. Oh, God, we need your presence. We need your presence, Lord. We need the glory of the Lord. We need the glory of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. Oh, God. Oh, God. 
want you to open your heart. I want you to speak it. I want you to lean in. Lean in. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Lord, we need the presence of God this morning. Lord, that glory that those disciples witnessed, Lord, we need today. We need today. Lord, in the warfare that we walk in, we need the presence of God. Lord, in the, the battle that we're walking, we need the power of God today. Lord, with the stresses and temptations that are out there today, we need the fullness of God, the presence of God. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Come on, I want you to take another moment. I want you to speak it. Just say, Lord, I need your presence. God, pour your presence out on me. I need your presence. I need your presence. That psalm is said, as the deer pants after the water, so does my soul thirst after you, oh God. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. We need your presence, Lord. We need your presence, Lord. Fall upon us in your power and your glory, Lord. Fall upon us in your power and your glory. Oh, God. Oh, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God. For some, it's been a long time, Lord, since they've had a personal moment in your presence. They've been feasting off the experiences of others. But Lord, you've got something individually that you want to do. Oh, God. You pour your spirit on sons and daughters. Oh, God, we praise you. We praise you. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. Shut up, Shake up the ground of all my tradition. Break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. Shake up the ground of the power all my of tradition. God. Break down the presence the walls of God. Of all my religion. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.